All the kids who usually go to Kid Zone, I'd like you to come up here for a minute because I like to read a story with you, okay? My kids are all way too tall. Come on up, kids. Come on up, kids. We're going to read a story. My kids are way too tall to uh, read a story with now. So I'm a little out of practice, but I want to read you one of my favorite stories. And instead of holding up the book today, we're going to have the pictures on the screen at the back. And at the front, and the story I'm going to read to you today is called The Runaway Bunny. Okay? All right. Here we go. The Runaway Bunny. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away, so he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream, and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I will become a fisherman, and I will fish for you. If you become a fisherman, then I will become a rock on the mountain high above you. If you become a rock in the mountain high above me, said his mother, I will become a mountain climber and I will climb to where you are. If you become a mountain climber, said the little bunny, I will be a crocus in a hidden garden. If you become a crocus in a hidden garden, said his mother, I will be a gardener and I will find you. If you're a gardener and find me, said the little bunny, I will be a bird and fly away from you. If you become a bird and fly away from me, said his mother, I will be a tree that you come home to. If you become a tree, if you become a tree, said the little bunny, I will become a little sailboat and I will sail away from you. If you become a sailboat and sail away from me, said his mother, I will become the wind and blow you where I want you to go. If you become the wind and blow on me, said the little bunny, I will join a circus and fly away on a flying trapeze. If you go flying on a flying trapeze, said his mother, I will be a tightrope walker and I will walk across the air to you. If you become a tightrope walker and walk across the air, said the bunny, I will become a little boy and run into a house. If you become a little boy and run into a house, said the mother bunny, I will become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you. Oh, shucks, said the little bunny. I might just as well stay where I am and be your little bunny. So he did. Have a carrot, said the mother bunny. Who likes playing hide-and-go-seek? Yeah, hide-and-go-seek is really fun, right? I like hiding, playing hide-and-go-seek, but it's a little harder because I, I need bigger places to hide than you guys do. But you know, sometimes grown-ups do something really silly. They try to hide from God which is really silly because God is like the mother bunny in the story. He just pursues us and goes after us and loves us no matter what. So we can't run away from God. 
kind of a silly thing to do. I hope you guys remember that. Don't try to run away from God because he's always there with us and he loves us. He just wants us to be his kids. Thanks for listening. You guys can go back with your parents and pay attention to the Bible reading next because it's going to talk about runaway bunnies, I think. Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and what, or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are all the same to you. You made all of the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life is recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake, you are still with me. God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They they blaspheme you. The enemies misuse your name. Well, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Last week, if you were here, we talked about God, is he there? And if you remember, we looked at biology and we looked at mathematics and I explained to you why I was a non-believer. A non-believer in what? I cannot rationally believe in the suggestion or the theory or the position that we are here as a result of random chance. We did not just happen to be. And we looked at Stephen Hawking and how he said, well, you know, the law of gravity kind of explains how the universe came out of nothing. And we looked at really why that's kind of a nonsensical statement. And I tried to communicate to you as best I can that it makes perfect sense to believe 
an, an intelligent design. An intelligent design of the universe points to an intelligent creator. But to follow up for that, the natural, logical question that I always ask, and I hope you always ask at the end of a sermon, so what? So what? Let me suggest to you today that this intelligent, creative, dynamic force behind the universe is not a force, he's a person. He's chosen to reveal himself to us. And he actually loves us. He cares for us. Now, for many of us, we might be able to agree, we might be able to assent the fact that, well, there's probably a God out there, but so what? Because, uh, because we're all self-absorbed human beings, we want to know, well, how does that relate to me? So what? And that's what this psalm that was read this morning, we're going to look at again, Psalm 139, tells us. The author of this psalm, David, I think is struggling with many of the same things. He's contemplating the awesome majesty of this creator God. But this morning, we're going to go quickly through the, through the beginning of the psalm and look at some of the important points that David makes so we can draw out of this. But the punchline is at the last two verses, and we'll get there. Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit up, when I stand, sit down, when I stand up. You know my thoughts when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Wouldn't it be helpful for us to put the brakes on our mouth once in a while? Oh, we need to pray for insight. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful, too great for me to understand. David is saying that God is omniscient. It means that God knows all, okay? That word omni, that prefix means all. God knows all. He knows everything about me. He knows my every move. All right. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the forest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. It sounds a lot like the runaway bunny, doesn't it? And the conclusion of the little bunny is, oh, shucks, I might as well be your little bunny. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. There's nowhere we can escape him. There's even no such thing, to quote a line out of a song by a Canadian songwriter, Carol Aarons, there is no such thing as a God-forsaken town. I thought I lived in one once, but I was wrong because I'm not talking about Winnipeg. But I was, I was wrong, and God used the line in that song to remind me there is no God-forsaken place on earth. There are places where people have forsaken God, and you see the consequences of that, but there is no such thing as a God-forsaken place on this planet. God is omnipresent, 
God is everywhere. Let's continue. This is where it gets really interesting. And if you're biology enthusiasts, this will blow your mind. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. That word knit implies there, there's, a, there's a craftsmanship. There's, an, there's an, a grand artisan designing us and putting us together. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Imagine that. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. To be able to make us and to oversee our formation and to be involved in that, that's amazing. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I don't even, I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. What do you think God thinks about you? You don't have to answer this out loud, but I want you to think about it. What do you think God thinks about you? Someone reminded me this week of something I told you. In rec- it, it's always amusing and mildly alarming when someone quotes part of my sermon back to me because I can't remember what I said or... I'm sure you remember more of my sermons than I do. I hope you do. But this person was reminding me that I told you. In answer to this question, what do you think God thinks about you? God has your picture on his refrigerator. It's fun to visit different places. And and normally, maybe, I don't know what your home is like, but refrigerators are just natural attraction of art and schedules and it's supposed to be art you know and especially if you're a grandparent you better put that stuff up right and and if the kid makes you some call it an abstract drawing and don't never ask what is it you ask tell me about your picture so you can figure what the dickens did they try to make that's just a little tip for your grandparents you know better but we we put stuff on our fridge, stuff that's really close to us and family and friends and people that we want to think of and want to be reminded of. I think that God has your picture on his fridge and mine too. Huge fridge. Don't press me for the details, but I think that's what God does. The omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent creator of the universe cares me. I want you to repeat that with me. The omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent creator of the universe cares for me. Now that's hard to absorb. It's difficult to understand. Very challenging to believe. That's why David continues. He goes on and and mentions a few verses about being frustrated about people who sin and do evil intentionally. And then 
the last two verses of the psalm or the verses that I want to focus on this morning. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What's David saying? It's one thing to believe in an omniscient, omnipresent, uh, what's the other one? Omnipotent creator of the universe. It's one thing, but does he really, really care about me? And how does that work itself out? And how do I, re- how do I respond to this amazing creator, this transcendent God who's also imminent, wants to reveal himself to me as someone who's with me all the time? So what? So what? David's response to this facts about God is saying, okay, if you are really out there, then I want you in here as well. And in order for you to be in here, in, in me, this is what's going to have to happen. Search me. Not so much frisking, but looking into every dark corner. Get out that really powerful spotlight and, and shine it in every area, every dark corner of my life that I don't want anybody else to see. Shine the light into the parts of myself that I don't even want to look at. The parts that I've been denying and hiding and just lying to myself that they're not really there, but they are. Shine a light into those corners. And know my heart. We're not talking about cardiology here. We're talking about know, know my values. Know what I treasure most of all. Know how I, what I am most anxious to protect and hide from other people. Know my heart, my real motives for doing things. We have all kinds of reasons for doing things, a presenting reason, but know my heart reasons deep inside. And test me. The idea uh, uh, behind this word is, is checking for the purity of a precious metal. Check me out and see if I'm really being genuine. Test me out. And know my anxious thoughts. Now, why would he put this? This is kind of a little odd. Why would he be talking about anxious thoughts? Because I believe that when we we talk about it, uh, let's see if we can get them all together. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent creator. That makes me a little anxious, thinking about that. Ooh, how do I measure up? What does that creator think about me? How do I measure up? Know my anxious thoughts. Know the things that are driving me and compelling me to act the way I am. Know them. Know my anxieties, my fears, all the things. I like what Pastor Randy said. What do you say, Randy? He said, bring your, one of the things we bring today is our anxieties and our praise and other things. That's good. Know those anxieties, Lord. And be honest. Let's put them on the table. Let's examine them. Without fear, without fear of judgment, it's just. There's an expression that says, dead fish stink. And you might as well get the dead fish on the table, right? So you can see maybe you're 
family of origins like that. There's, there's stuff in the room. There's, there's dead fish under the table, but nobody really wants to talk about it. It's like, oh, it's not really that smelly in here. Let's spray some more Febreze and cover over it, but we don't really look at the dead fish. Well, this verse is saying, let's get the dead fish on the table and look at it. Search me, know my heart, test me for being how genuine I am, and know my anxious thoughts, know my secret fears. Then, what do you do with them? You look at the dead fish. Point out anything in me that offends you. And God says, Rick, that fish smells really bad. Yeah, you're right. Ah, uh, how about those bombers? Too bad about Friday night, you know? And you try to change the subject and stuff the fish back under the table. But he lovingly says, Rick, that fish reeks. Let's get rid of it. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's where we, we, we can go home today thinking in theory about this omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. I'm getting better at those. We can, we can go home thinking about that in theory, but God wants to penetrate our hearts because he wants, he's a relational being. He wants a relationship with us. He didn't just set the universe in motion like some absentee clockmaker. He didn't just sort of wind it up and say, wow, that's nice, and then just walk off. He wants to be vitally involved with every one of us, and he knows the stuff we're going through. Even though it may not, he may not feel like it, he is there, and he wants to be with us. There's no way I can possibly convince you of this. I know that I struggle with it all the time. I struggle in it, with it in my own life. How do I get this point across? In my desperation, I'm resorting to children's literature. That's why I read you The Runaway Bunny this morning, not just because it's a cute story, because I think there is a little bit of repentance at the end of the story, and the, the little bunny says, ah, shucks, I might as well be your little bunny. And, the mom, and so he did. And mom says, have a carrot. Good ending. But when we come back to God, when we stop running away from him, that's what he does. He surrounds us, and he says, have a carrot. I'll lead you along the path of everlasting life. I'll show you what life, this everlasting life, it, it's what life is meant to be. It's not just an eternal existence, but life the way it was meant to be lived. And there's a lot of us, we're shortchanging ourselves and we're shortchanging other people by the kinds of lives we're leaving. It's not because we're not rich and famous and popular and all those things. It's just some of us are really good at self-sabotaging ourselves. We start out with good intentions and uh, all these anxious thoughts and things crowd in and they get us off track. And that's why the psalmist is saying, look, point out anything in me that offends you. Test me. Know my heart. Look, I don't even trust my own opinion of myself. I don't even trust my own version of reality. You show me what reality is. I want to give you an example of someone who is so isolated 
and so feeling so alone, he was desperate and feeling friendless and feeling abandoned. And yet in this story, God surrounds him and he realizes that God has been pursuing him his whole life. This story is from The Horse and His Boy. It's a book by C.S. Lewis. It's in the Narnia series. And uh, I'd encourage you to read it. And I'm not apologizing for reading children's literature. Do you know why? Because adults are older children. Not necessarily any more mature. They're just older. And um, sometimes God wants to sneak up on us with truth. I could give you all kinds of propositions about how God is a God of love and so on. But some of us are so tough. Some of us, our skin, our hide is so thick. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a chance to penetrate with a frontal assault. So I am shamelessly trying to encourage him to sneak in the back door. All right? So soften your heart. Pay attention. This young boy, Shasta, has had a lot of trouble in his life. He's had a lot of lions chasing him through uh, uh, the darkness and the journey. And right now he's feeling abandoned by all of his uh, comrades, his fellow travelers. He's on a quest. Doesn't, you can read the details later when you read the story. But just imagine how you'd be feeling if you were all alone and totally abandoned. Shasta said he's lost. He says, this road is bound to get somewhere. But that all depends on what you mean by somewhere. The road he was on kept on getting to somewhere in the sense it got to more and more trees, all dark and dripping and colder and colder air. And strange icy winds kept blowing the mist past them, although they never blew the mist away. If he had been used to mountain country, he would have realized that this meant he was very high up, perhaps at the top of the mountain pass. But Shasta knew nothing about mountains. I do think, Shasta, that I must be the most unfortunate boy who's ever lived in the whole world. Everything goes right for everyone except me. Do you ever feel that way? Those Narnian lords and ladies got safely away from the enemy. I was left behind. All my friends are snug with their other friend, and I was the only one sent on by myself. Even the king must be safely in his castle. But I got left out. And being very tired and having nothing inside him, he was hungry, he felt so sorry for himself that the tears rolled down his cheeks. Ever relate to that? Life is so hard, you just give up and want to cry. What put a stop to all this was a sudden fright. Shasta discovered that someone or somebody was walking beside him. It was pitch dark and he could see nothing. And the thing or person was going so quietly he could hardly hear any footsteps. What he could hear was breathing. His invisible companion seemed to breathe on a very large scale. And Shasta got the impression that it was a very large creature and he had come to notice this breathing so gradually that he really had no idea how long it had been there. It was a horrible shock. It darted into his mind that he had heard long ago there were giants in these northern lands. 
He bit his lip in terror. But now that he really had something to cry about, he stopped crying. The thing, unless it was a person, went on beside him so very quietly that Shasta began to hope he had only imagined it. But just as he was becoming quite sure of it, there suddenly came a deep, rich <sighs> sigh out of the darkness beside him. That couldn't be imagination. Anyway, he had felt the hot breath of that sigh on his chilly left hand. Oh, if that horse had been any good, or if he had known how to get any good out of the horse, he would have risked everything on a breakaway in a wild gallop. But he knew he couldn't make that horse gallop, so he went on at a walking pace, and the unseen companion walked and breathed beside him. At last, he could bear it no more. Who are you? He said, scarcely above a whisper. One who has waited long for you to speak, said the thing. The voice was not loud, but very large and deep. Are you, are you a giant? said Shasta. You might call me a giant, said the large voice. But I am not like the creatures you call giants. I can't see you at all, said Shasta, after staring very hard. Then, for an even more terrible idea had come into his head, he said, almost in a scream, You're not, you're not something dead, are you? Oh, please do go away. What have I ever done to you? Oh, I'm the most unluckiest person in the whole world. Once more, he felt the warm breath of the thing on his hand and face. There, it said, that is not the breath of a ghost. Tell me your sorrows. Shasta was a little reassured by the breath, so he told how he had never known his real father or mother, and he'd been brought up sternly by a grumpy old fisherman. Then he told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to run for their lives, and of all their changes, dangers, and Tashban, and about his night among the tombs, and how the beasts howled at him out in the desert. And he told about the heat and the thirst of their desert journey and how they are almost at their goal when another lion chased them and wounded his fellow traveler Erebus and also how very long it was since he had had anything to eat. I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. Don't you think it was bad luck? To meet so many lions, said Shasta. There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I just told you there were at least two the first night, and there was only one, but he was swift of foot. How do you know? I was the lion. And as Shasta gasped, with open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued. I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus, your fellow traveler. I was the cat who comforted you in the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. 
I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so she could, you could reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion. You do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death so that it came to shore where a fisherman sat wakeful at night to receive you. Then it was you who wounded Erebus, my friend? It was I. But what for? Child, said the voice. I am telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but their own. Who are you? said Shasta. Myself, said the voice. Very deep and low so that the earth shook. And again, myself, loud and clear and happy, and then for the third time, myself, whispered so softly you could hardly hear it, and yet it seemed to come from all around you as if the leaves rustled with it. Shasta was no longer afraid that the voice belonged to something that would eat him nor that it was the voice of a ghost, but a new and different sort of trembling came over him, yet he felt glad, too. The mist was turning from black to gray and from gray to white. This must have been happening some time ago, but while he'd been talking to the thing, he had not been noticing anything else. Now the whiteness around him became a shining whiteness. His eyes began to blink, and somewhere ahead he could hear birds singing. He knew the night was over at last. He could see the mane and ears and head of his horse quite easily now. A golden light fell on them from the left. He thought it was the sun. He turned and saw, pacing beside him, taller than the horse, a lion. The horse didn't seem to be afraid of it or else could not see it. It was from the lion that the light came. No one ever saw anything more terrible or Beautiful. Luckily, Shasta had lived all his life too far away to have heard tales that were whispered about some dreadful demon that appeared in the form of a lion. And of course, he knew nothing of the true stories about Aslan the lion, the son of the emperor over the sea, the king above all high kings in Narnia. But after one glance at the lion's face, he slipped out of the saddle and fell to his feet. He didn't say anything, but then he didn't want to say anything, and he knew he didn't need to say anything. The high king above all kings stooped toward him, its mane, and some strange and solemn perfume that hung around the mane was all around him. It touched his forehead with his tongue. He lifted his face, and their eyes met, and then instantly the pale brightness of the mist and the fiery brightness of the lion rolled themselves together in a swirling glory and gathered themselves up and disappeared. He was alone with the horse on a grassy hillside under a blue sky and there were birds singing. Sometimes when we look at our lives and see in retrospect, we think God was not there at all. But sometimes with his insight, through a gift of the Holy Spirit, as Holy Spirit reveals himself to us, we realize, God was there, even though it didn't feel like he was. Shasta said, don't you think I've been so unlucky to see so many lions? 
Not so much. And after he got the perspective on his life, after he was given that, and especially as he has a revelation, this, this story is a picture of how God reveals himself to us through his spirit. Then the nickel drops and it's like, oh, I get it. I get it. Friends, the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent creator of the universe cares for us. I'd like us to repeat that this again because we need to go home with it. We need to ask God to penetrate our spirit with this fact. Okay? Let's repeat this together. The omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent creator of the universe cares for me. Search us, O God. Know the anxious thoughts. Test us. Correct us, lead us in the way everlasting. Show us the things that hold us back from trusting you with our lives and help us to surrender to you. Amen. You know, I believe that what God told me this morning about the story, this kid's story, Shasta, eventually he had to give up. He had to give up. He knew that the, this thing was really a lion, this, this thing was really good. And he, he couldn't say anything in the presence of God. He just fell on his knees and looked at him. If we're going to get anywhere in our relationship with God, the first thing we have to do is surrender and keep surrendering and keep giving up. God reminded me today that I'm like an onion. Hopefully I don't smell that bad, but I've got so many layers and so many things I have to keep surrendering again and again and again on a daily basis. Because I forget. Well, no, it's not that I forget. I just have a selective memory. I want to do things that please me, not God. That's my biggest issue. The Bible calls it sin. If you like to offload some of that stuff, if you want to connect with God today, the elders and their spouses are going to be here and around to uh, offer to, to, to pray with you. So I'd encourage you to do that after the service, after we sing this last song, okay? Um, great, that wasn't planned by me. Anyway, maybe God planned it, I don't know. I guess he did, if he's omniscient. Anyway. Uh, I, I encourage you to do that and ask God to, to look in those dark spaces that need to be looked at. And if, if today doesn't work, I'd encourage you to, to find someone this week. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find someone this week. I know who I'm going to talk to to look into some of the dark corners of my life that God's been showing me this weekend. I encourage you to do that as well.